Welcome to Valley Lights Church Online. Hey, I'm Bruce Wood, the lead pastor here at Valley Lights, and I'm excited that you're with us because today we are continuing a series of messages looking at the difference that the Christian movement has made in the world and all around us throughout history. And kind of we're challenging this idea that all the problems in the world can be traced back to organized religion. Maybe you've heard people say that sort of thing. But today we're looking at a particular aspect of human life. And uh, this, this topic is global compassion and relief aid. And the reason we're looking at this is because if you look closely, Christians have been motivated by God to show compassion throughout the centuries after Jesus' death and resurrection. One example is a group that we partner with. Um, there's a group on the ground at the border crossing between Ukraine and Poland trying to help refugees from Ukraine deal with the evacuation. So you could just, this is just give you a quick idea of what that looks like. Check out this video right here. Hi, I'm Jason Cox, Vice President of Sin Relief International Ministries. I'm here at one of the border crossings with Ukraine and Poland. One of the buses has just arrived bringing people across. We're getting word of thousands of people lining up and waiting for hours, if not days, in long, long lines to cross the border. Please continue to pray for the people of Ukraine, both those who are unable to get out, those who are waiting at the border, and those who are crossing, as these people are right now, into unknown circumstances. Sin Relief, we have partners deployed all around Ukraine, Baptist partners, IMB partners, and others through whom we're working. Your gifts to Sin Relief are making a huge difference and will continue to make a huge difference. Thank you for your generosity. To learn more about how you can be involved with Sin Relief, please visit sinrelief.org. This kind of thing is what God motivates Christians to do to show compassion and render aid to people that are suffering. Samaritan's Purse, the Salvation Army, and many other organizations are centered on showing the compassion of God to others whenever, whether, whether those people follow Christ or not. I've got a friend, um, an older mentor of mine, who spent many years in Afghanistan serving God there, and uh, he's even visited Valley Lights a few times. But he, he says that it's, it's commonly known that the aid and compassion efforts in the Middle East don't come from the Muslim nations. It comes from the Christian West. And uh, so you see that happening there. Actually, there's a guy in our church too who has uh, shared his experience. He's going to share his experience about um, living in New Orleans, growing up there. And then uh, after that really big hurricane Katrina came through and devastated that state, um, the impact that was had in that region. So listen to what he says. When Hurricane Katrina hit uh, New Orleans, I was a senior in college, so I actually wasn't in the city when it happened because it's August and that's when school starts again. Um, but uh, it was a really uh, nuts time. Uh, my parents actually had to evacuate the city. They were gone from their home for about a month. Um, and honestly, we'd been through so many hurricanes. I honestly thought that uh, I thought it was just going to be another hurricane that would pass by and nothing would really happen. But this one was really, really bad. And uh, again, my parents were out of their house for about a month. Um, I went to college about three and a half hours north of uh, New Orleans. So again, I wasn't around the city, but um, immediately our town filled up with people uh, evacuating. Uh, there were tons of hotels. Every, I mean, every hotel was full. Um, I had friends who um, their whole family was living in their dorm room uh, just because there was no place for all the people that were running away from the storm. And um, the church that I went to was a very large church. And literally overnight, 
they had a double basketball court, which is pretty amazing, like huge basketball court. And it was completely full of food, water, um, cots, all sorts of things so that people could um, help any way that they can. Um, uh, people were looking for ways that they could be a part of helping out all the, just the misery of people that were running away from home and not knowing if they were going to be able to come back. Um, but we were just one church. I honestly, and again, we're one church that was three and a half hours away from the storm. Um, I was part of mission teams that came back to the city, uh, to help out, to help people gut their homes, uh, so they could be rebuilt. Um, just all sorts of different projects and stuff to uh, meet people's physical needs as well as just, you know, just normal stuff like um, cutting down trees in yards, hauling things away, um, sharing the gospel with people, um, letting people know that they weren't alone in this whole thing. And um, it was a pretty amazing thing to see. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd seen churches help out and stuff before, but um, literally, if you know anything about Louisiana politics, our government's pretty corrupt, uh, or has, has has had a history of being pretty corrupt. And uh, something that was said over and over and over was, if it wasn't for the churches here, um, we would have been completely sunk because the, the government couldn't do what people genuinely caring for their neighbors and looking to serve God uh, could do. The amount of resources, money, uh, man hours, um, sacrifice, um, it just couldn't be done uh, any other way. So it was pretty amazing to be a part of. In videos like this, you might see that support and efforts might come from various places, but really sometimes the most robust strength of compassion and aid, and uh, it comes from Christian sources. And that really shouldn't be too surprising because compassion efforts are what Jesus commanded us to do. And that's been going on since Christianity started. During the um, Antonine plague of the second century, a very long time ago, um, they were in this plague and Christians were the ones caring for the sick at great risk and cost to themselves. Here's actually an article that says, Christianity has been handling epidemics for 2,000 years. And Christians have offered a very spiritual explanation for plagues. Um, whereas maybe cultures in those days would say that plagues were the work of an angry God or just capricious deities that um, are, are causing this to happen. But actually Christians say, that, no, well, it's plagues like this are the product of a broken creation that's in revolt against a loving God. And uh, the subject of plagues and epidemics is relevant, obviously, because of the two years that we've just experienced. Um, there was another plague in 1527. The bubonic plague was going through Wittenberg, Germany. Martin Luther was enduring and ministering during that time, and he had a, a startling response. Uh, he said, he, basically, Luther refused people that urged him to flee the city, flee the plague, and protect himself. Rather, he stayed and he ministered to the sick. His refusal to flee actually cost his daughter Elizabeth her life. And in a track, Luther wrote, he was very, very committed to the cause of Christ. And he, he wrote a, a track called, Whether, Whether Christians Should Flee the Plague. And he articulates the Christian response to epidemics. He said, we die at our posts. Christian doctors cannot abandon their hospitals. Christian governors cannot flee their districts. Christian pastors cannot abandon their congregations. The plague does not dissolve our duties it turns them into crosses on which we must be prepared to die. That is 
a, a startling statement and real commitment to following Christ. And Christians live a life of sacrifice modeled after the one that they follow, Jesus. Jesus is the one that walked deliberately into harm's way in order to save many people. And for us, if our eternity is secure, if we know where, we go, where we're going when we die, well, we can take risks that other people might shy away from taking. Christians follow a God who plays a high value on human life. So we serve when there's an opportunity and we can do that. We also see the contrast to the Christian view of the sanctity of life in comparison to the Roman Empire, which was the ruling government during the time of Jesus. There's this one chilling statement made by Seneca, a Roman philosopher, he was a statesman, orator, and he says this, um, he says that we destroy monstrous births, and we also drown our children if they are born weakly or unnaturally formed, to separate what is useless, like meaning the babies that are useless, from what is sound. And this is an act not of anger, but of reason. This guy is talking about killing babies that are born with deformities. They viewed this as the reasonable thing to do, not malicious. This is a cold, chilling statement. This is how society operated. And it's a little scary. Actually, it's a lot scary to see some similar streams of thought bubbling up in our society nowadays. Actually, it has been for many years now. You know, at, in Rome, this was a time when unwanted babies were thrown in the river to drown. The early Christians were mocked for wading out into those waters to rescue the babies. They would then adopt the deformed, rejected, unwanted children. And by doing so, these early Christians were following Jesus, who valued all human life. This actually lines up with um, one of the statements in our Statement of Faith at Valley Lights Church. Um, here, here's a real profound statement. We believe that all human life is sacred and created by God in His image. Human life is of inestimable worth in all of its dimensions, including preborn babies, the aged, the physically or mentally challenged, and every other stage or condition from conception through natural death. We are therefore called to defend, protect, and value all human life. This is one of the statements of faith that we have as a church. And actually, we draw this specifically in part by, from passage in Psalm 139, where it says, where David, you know, uh, praising God, speaking back to God, he says, For it was you who created my in inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works, O oh God, are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All of my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. This statement from David, part of the Bible, this is a powerful expression of God's intentional design for every human life and God's oversight of every day of all of our lives. To illustrate the value of human life even more, I'd like to show you a video from a couple that is in our church network. Uh, church in the Valley is one of the partner churches with us. Uh, they're located in Ontario. And so Wade and Jen Tang, they're a couple that share their perspective that they've gained from having a son born with Down syndrome. So you can hear what they share in this video. Wade and Jen, thank you so much for 
doing this interview. I know it's going to be very helpful for folks. How did you respond when you found out that Titus had an extra chromosome, which means he had Down syndrome? Mm. My initial response was fear um, and then courage, um, or and then peace knowing that God is in control. But uh, when I first, you know, heard the news, um, I lost courage and, you know, I, I felt like my bubble burst of all the things that I had, um, my expectations for um, Titus and just the things that I wanted to do with him. And um, we didn't know what that meant, like whether he was gonna be handicapped or um, have learning disabilities, um, would he need heart surgery? Um, the doctors told us initially that every 10 years he would need to have a liver transplant to stay alive. So I was fearful, but um, one of my sisters-in-law's uh, favorite verses is Isaiah 41.10, and it says, um, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And God kept reminding me of that truth um, the more I chewed on it and the more my peace grew. That's great. Um, I think to piggyback the same, I initially being alone in the hospital room um when we found i was there alone when i found out i um there was an overwhelming sense of calm which looking back now i know it's just the lord's peace it was just kindness before i could process but over the next few weeks waves of emotion of just fear and being just being really scared about the future um if you research it and that's not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of heart Never surgeries and like, yeah, yeah, it's like 25% like chance <laughs> of surviving, just a lot. Um, those waves came and then just wrestling with just being angry and um, feeling like maybe I was being ripped off or my kids were being ripped off or um, a number of things. And a verse that came to mind, um, I think the fact that God was in control was really helpful, but there was this Thing that I couldn't put my finger on and a gal pointed out to me um, a verse that I read a lot of times before in Psalm 139 and what it talks about is that while we're in our mother's womb God is intricately weaving together each part of us and what that just yeah. left me with is there's no way this is a mistake then mm -hmm. if, a, if God is intricately weaving us together then this isn't a mistake and though it was never on our minds to terminated the pregnancy there was this deep sense of something's wrong mm -hmm. and um that ended that for me and that mm -hmm. brought so much freedom and mm -hmm. peace to know that god's hand was in this and i could really rejoice in this pregnancy like i had my others yeah that's that's great grateful for god's peace <laughs> yes so how did the medical community react um their initial reaction was during the appointment they wanted me to stay and I didn't know why. I thought maybe they were going to give me this wealth of help and information and things I would need to know to proceed in the pregnancy. And what it ended up being when they finally released me was um, I was having to do everything through phone calls with Wade and getting information from them. And what it came down to is they were trying to get me to go immediately to another um, clinic where they would they could do the abortion early enough in the pregnancy that um, it would still be covered by our insurance. Uh -huh. And so once I realized that, Wade told me, you need to get home, just go home, and I'll meet you there. And um, so over the next few weeks, he encouraged me just to ignore their calls because there was a tight time frame they were trying to get me in. And then when we got to talk with our OB, who was a Christian, really the only 
Christian we met in the process of this in the medical field, he said, he explained that that was the goal and that honestly in all of his years of being an OB, he had yet to help a mom that had had a Down syndrome diagnosis because it always terminated once they had these early reads or detections, I can tell you about it. Yeah, that's great. So how much joy has Titus brought into your all's life? Did you respond to No. Okay, let's let's yeah. okay. skip back. Let's go back. Let's go back. <laughs> um, the medical community wanted us to murder our baby. Um, all you know, all the gym doctors she was saying they gave us all these pamphlets, they called us all the time, they emailed us, they scheduled Jen's appointments, you know, within a certain time frame so that they could do the abortion. And we told them that, you know, we're keeping the baby. Um, you know, if he's alive, we're gonna keep him. And um, yeah. they told us then, you know, well, we can make sure for you by doing this procedure, we can be 100% sure that he has Down syndrome, but there's a chance that it could cause Jen to lose the baby. Mm-hmm. So we didn't want to do that. And, you know, we told him that um, our response was that we value Titus's life uh, no matter what diagnosis uh-huh. he's yeah. going to be given. And, you know, like Jen was saying, God's not surprised by this and he's in control. He loves us. And he's good. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. So how much joy, back to that question, <laughs> how much joy has Titus brought into your life and how has he helped you, you know, his birth and existence, how has it helped you grow in, grow in your relationship to God? Um, we we um, joke we don't know what we did before Titus because we're both pretty intense people. And so he just has brought a lightheartedness. Um, he's the only little boy too, so there's less probably emotions, I don't know, tied up. But what he does is he is the comforter of all the girls in the house. And um, when his sisters are crying, he does not like that. And he will stop and drop what he's doing and he just strokes their hair and hugs them. And they've grown to like, they look for that now, they want Titus yeah. to come. And he just has a real zest for life and just a lot of personalities constantly laughing. It is very hard to frustrate him. And that has brought a lightheartedness just mm-hmm. to our home. That's just been a gift from God. It's brought a lot of joy. Um, but additionally, what God has done in this journey of the pregnancy and having him and walking through a lot of medical things at the beginning is he's just kept reminding me that he's in control of this, that he foreknew this, he's going ahead of us, and it's brought a nearness to him and a reliance on him that was always necessary, especially the reliance on him. But um, it's just been a reminder of, I need him moment by moment for not only decisions, but just for strength and perspective. And um, that in of itself is a huge gift. And then the gifts he's given in parenting of um, just the additional help and mercy and grace and growing and gentleness and compassion and patience. Um, I'm really grateful. Yeah, everything Jen just said is true about Titus bringing joy. Um, he's the happiest person that I know. And, <laughs> um, I, I can imagine. That's <laughs> yeah, true. He's, uh, he's helped me grow in my relationship with the Lord by showing me, you know, day after day that God is real, um, that he's good, and he's almighty. Through all of the appointments that we've had, um, you know, God's provided for our income. He's provided for, you know, our finances have worked out. He's provided a home for us, um, babysitting for our, his therapies that are about. Uh, he goes to like five sessions a week right now. 
and all of these things have worked out so smoothly and like none of my fears have um, actually you know come true it's God has taken care of us in all of these ways and it encourages me to trust him more yeah that's that's fantastic that's really good perspective I thank you guys again Thanks. for doing this Thank you. Christians have a high value of human life and because of God's value on human life God leads us to show extreme compassion to the people in our circles and beyond. You know, some skeptics might say, hey, anybody, anybody can be compassionate. Medicine and, you know, the good advances of helping people physically, this, is, this isn't exclusive to Christians. Compassion is just part of being human. But you might be surprised if, if, you, if you have a thought like that. Uh, the motivation for modern medicine and many of its innovations has come to us by Christians. Even modern hospitals grow out of Christianity. Um, that started before that there was before we had formal nursing services. Um, early Christians went out of their way to nurse anyone that was in need of care. And so when earthquakes or fires or epidemics produced injuries and suffering, most of the time people would just flee the area. The Christians instead ran towards the difficulty, caring for the injured and the sick. Then later on, during the scientific revolution, uh, which grew from the, Christ, the Christian cathedral schools, science developed next door to these crude hospitals that started forming, and the two started inter, to intermingle. So this was, that was the beginning of modern medicine as an actual scientific practice. So what you have is um, the influence of people with Christian roots caring for people and innovating in a way to really help people. John Hopkins, he was the founder of the hospital, of John Hopkins Hospital, and he was a devout follower of Christ. So was William Mayo, the founder of the Mayo Clinic. Um, another founder of modern medicine, Florence Nightingale, was a serious Christian and a nursing innovator who created the layout for modern hospitals. And amazingly, nine out of the ten top hospitals that we have today were founded by Christians. And it has led this one author to say, John Dickerson, um, who writes about this, he says, if you have a deadly medical condition, you want to be in a hospital that was founded by Christians or Christian-trained doctors. It's just, it's the best care that there is. So people who love Jesus and are motivated by His Spirit to show compassion to their world go across the globe to show His love to others. But there's one very important distinctive of the Christian movement. We believe that beyond just helping people physically, real compassion gets to the deeper issues. We definitely care about helping and, and showing love and compassion, but we are concerned with more than just meals and health and shelter and clothing. And we're going to actually turn to the Bible for an example of that today. We'll continue following the expansion of the Christian movement as we journey with Paul further into the, the non-Jewish Gentile world. In this series, we've been looking at some stories in the book of Acts. It's a part of the Bible that talks about the expansion of the early church. And so we're going to get some insight from Acts chapter 14. In verse 7 it says, um, There they continued preaching the gospel. So meaning this is Paul and Barnabas. They're on this missionary journey. They're in this, um, this new area preaching to people. And in verse 8 it says, In Lystra a man was sitting who was without strength in his feet. He had never walked and had been lame from birth. He listened as Paul spoke. After looking directly at him, 
and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, stand up on your feet. And he jumped up and he began to walk around. So here's a guy who's, who's, uh, who's never walked. So this is not a work injury. He didn't roll his ankle. Um, uh, and he's, he's, uh, he's never walked in his life. And as Paul was, was speaking, he was listening very intently to the words about Jesus and his death and his sacrifice and his resurrection. Paul's message had this guy's attention. And as Paul was speaking, he notices this guy looking right at him. And, he, and something's clear. He had, he had seen this before. There was this deeper need than just physical. Paul clearly could see his feet weren't working. No doubt Paul had seen many disabilities before, but something was different. And, you know, what happens is the guy gets healed. He gets, as he's listening and his faith is being stirred to put his faith in Christ, um, Paul also notices the physical need as well. And so there's this miracle that takes place. The guy's able to walk for the first time in his life. And modern miracles, you know, can happen nowadays, either through prayer or through a medical procedure. God can and still does heal in profound ways. And when God does, just like in the Bible, he's aiming at more than just physical. God is really moving towards addressing the spiritual. And so what happens next is when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. (laughs) Barnabas that was Paul's friend, they called him Zeus, you know, one of the, the Greek gods. And Paul, they called him Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bowls and wreaths to the gates because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. And um, man, they, uh, they're, they're just all in a flurry. They can't even believe this, this crazy miracle that happens. It, throw, it just, man, it, everyone gets real excited. And... Uh, Paul and Barnabas realize, oh man, they, they think we're gods. Like, no, no, this is not good. So the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, verse 14, it says they tore their robes when they heard this and they rushed into the crowd shouting, people, what, why are you doing these things? We're people also just like you. And we are proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things, the gods and the sacrifices and all the things that are just not directed towards the one true living God, Think about the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way. But God, although he did not leave himself without a witness, since since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Um, This is part of what Paul's trying to get their attention to preach them, help them see more clearly. Because all of these people had some beliefs that were futile empty and worthless. And so he calls, Paul calls them to repentance, turn to the living God. And they knew, they wanted to appeal to the fact that deep down, everyone knows that there's somebody behind creation. The wonder and the awe of all the things that we see in life and that we enjoy, the sea and the rain and the seasons, all those cycles, man, we know, you know, somebody, something is behind that. So Paul, Paul's saying, all of, all of that you've experienced in your life to this point, it's no accident. There is a God. This is our news. You have an opportunity now to stop going your own way. Turn to the one true living God who made you in all of this. But still, 
didn't seem to matter. This crowd was still stirred up because of the miracle that happened. In verse 18, it says, Even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. But we see that Paul and Barnabas, they don't receive the praise and the attention, and they stay clear on the mission. They stay focused. And this is really important to notice because sometimes people in religious positions or religious professions are tempted towards pride or, or the accolades. But Paul and Barnabas, they keep pointing people towards the true hero. And it's tempting when, when we help someone or when we serve someone or, or give assistance to make sure that it's noticed, make sure that it's posted and photoed and documented, to have a pat on the back. But these missionaries, they don't lose perspective. This really is the heart of God. This is why Jesus came. Everywhere Jesus and his movement spread, it brought an improved quality of life. Jesus himself said, John 10.10, 10, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. There's a big difference between having your life deteriorate and to be brought down into death. And Jesus says, no, not only should you live, but I want it to be an abundant life. And as we trace Paul's journey further, he just kept pressing further into the unreached Gentile nations. And we, we want the same which is why Christian missionary efforts today continue to, to reach further and further. The story that we just looked at of Paul and Barnabas, it highlights that we don't just stay at the physical, we get to the spiritual. Often the physical need, it can be a starting point, but it's not the end game. Jesus' ministry was marked by compassion. We see this in Matthew 11, 4-5. Jesus replied to them, Go and report to John what you see and hear. Basically, let, people, let, let it be known the kind of ministry that's flowing out of what I'm doing here. Uh, because with Jesus, the, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. But Jesus always led them to belief. These miracles and acts of compassion led people to trust in Jesus Christ. And so as we mentioned, you know, when we talked at the beginning, we talked about some of the costs that Christians have endured. Many times, compassion comes with a cost. And, uh, you know, in the story of Paul, right after this big encounter, they heal a guy, everyone gets stirred up, he preaches the gospel even more clearly. An angry mob that chased them out of the last town um, comes and... <laughs> And they show up and they start stirring up this crowd here. In, in Acts 14, 19, it says, Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they went over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. So stoning is an old practice of um, killing a person. So you would um, hurl these enormous stones and boulders and crush people and just uh, whatever it took to make sure a person was dead. So they thought they had killed him. Verse 20, it says, After the disciples gathered around him, he got up. He didn't die. <laughs> Paul got up and he went into the next town. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. Man, on to the next town. The mission must continue. And it's true, as we mentioned earlier, if you have the ultimate things in life decided, if your eternity is secure, you can take risks in this life. Because we know that we'll live forever. There's a, you know, 
a photo here of when our team that we, who started Valley Lights Church, we were sent out by our parent church. It's Orange Crest Community Church in Riverside. This is a photo of our commissioning service um, where they prayed for us and sent us out. So this service is, it happened at night outside in the winter <laughs> because at the time it was during, it was during 2020 and you know, it was a struggle for churches to meet inside. It was trying to figure out all the pandemic stuff. And anyways, our parent church kept meeting and, the, and the, really the only way they could do it was at night outside. That was the only space available. And so, um, and actually this commissioning happened after we already left and were sent out because there just wasn't any way to gather beforehand because um, they were really shutting down gatherings and all this stuff. So when we had this idea to start a church and then turns out 2020 went real wild, I wasn't sure at first if we were crazy to bring a team to Los Angeles County and start a new church in the middle of a global pandemic. And for those that came on the team with us, uh, you know, we left a really good church and, and these folks on our team, they didn't, they didn't really have a formal goodbye. There was no gatherings were allowed. Um, and our teammates, they moved towards a higher cost of living out here in Santa Clarita. And now that inflation is moving, it's, it's, even, it's even more of a pinch. But our teammates were motivated. For those who have truly committed to see this church get off the ground, compassion comes at a cost. And it's about the mission that we're on. And so sacrifices were willing to be made. And then since sending us out, our parent church has broken ground on new property to build in Riverside. And um, God has really opened up some amazing doors to, for them to build a building. They've, they've been portable for 15 years. But in the process of purchasing and, and starting to build, they've gotten a lot of criticism from naysayers. People say, you're, you're building you know, over the past two years, you're building in a pandemic, really, right now? But, but the response is, when you've got a higher purpose, God keeps leading us to walk by faith. We walk by faith as God directs, rather than just settling for the comforts of this world. It's so encouraging for me to see faithful Christians pressing on, walking by faith, even when trouble strikes. Um, I actually have another video uh, from some people in, um, some Ukrainians, in uh, a video of them singing. There's some pastors and believers that were from Kiev that had to evacuate their homes due to the Russian invasion. And uh, this is just a video of them having a church service. It's a worship song that they're singing. It's worship in the midst of warfare. And you can hear them singing here in this video. Thank you. 
song you heard is, it's called The Goodness of God. And, you know, you probably don't speak Ukrainian, but it's amazing to hear these believers sing about the goodness of God in their own language, saying, God, all my life you've been faithful, even in the midst of all of what's going on now. It's amazing. So, some ways you might consider responding today. Uh, One thing that might be a possible next step in light of what we've read is to pray for God to meet both physical and spiritual needs for people experiencing trouble. You know, because of the internet, sometimes we see lots and lots of news stories. You can see people in trouble all over the world, all over the country, and it can feel very overwhelming with all of the problems going on that we're made aware of. Whereas like, you know, in centuries past, you wouldn't really know what's going on in every country. (laughs) You just know really your own area. So it can feel overwhelming. Instead of anxiety about all that's going on, we can pray in faith for God to intervene. And not just for physical, but also spiritual needs. That people find the light and truth in Jesus. Also, something that we can do is, you know, with, with the, the opportunities to express compassion and really be a help, what are some things we can do? We can give to compassion ministries as God prompts us. And, you know, maybe at times in your life you've considered making contributions financially to ministries that are meeting real needs. Right now our church is on the smaller side and we're, we're building up to the point where we can personally, like, create teams and send people places and get more, like, involved in compassion work. We've done little, not that much yet. But one thing we can do now it, with our size, and one thing that we have done since the very first day is to give money to people that are reaching out, people with more uh, infrastructure and ability to actually go to places where there's need. Um, in December, we did a Christmas offering. Um, some of the things that we gave to was the, the Santa Clarita Pregnancy Center. And uh, that's, a, that's a center really committed to helping women um, navigate the decisions related to having a baby or, um, or getting an abortion and providing a biblical understanding of, of which way to go on those things. And that's very important. Um, another ministry we gave to is called Making It Happen, really addressing people that are down and out and really in need financially or um, living on the streets and wanting to get out of that. Um, we also give and have given to the International Mission Board through the Cooperative Program of Southern Baptist Life. Um, this is wired into our budget as a church every month. And so some of what we give to is this ministry called IMB. And here's actually a, a one-minute video clip of what they do. Check this out. We all lead busy lives, but if we could just stop everything and take a bird's eye view, a little higher, there, now we can see the multitudes. We are fueled by a shared vision to bring the name of Christ to those who have yet to hear. So we move forward to extreme places, corners of the world that have no access to the gospel, We train missionaries, send them out together, and pray that God's grace be known. We help the hurting, comfort the dying, give hope to the displaced, and have seen thousands come to faith in Christ. We are able to do so much more together than if we were chasing this vision alone. This is our common effort, together. So you, see, you saw that from IMB. When you give to Valley Lights Church, 
a portion of your giving goes to this incredible ministry. So financial gifts made here, they make a difference far beyond these walls. Another thing that we can do is to seek to meet needs within my ability. Maybe God will bring opportunities to you to express love and care for somebody in your life. Someone who's hurting, someone who needs a meal or is in sorrow. We really do follow in the footsteps of Jesus when we stop to care for people that are hurting. And then finally, another next step is to express love by sharing the gospel. Meeting physical needs is very important, but we also recognize the limitations of food, shelter, and medicine in comparison to sharing the gospel. There may be some compassion ministries who highlight all the physical needs that were met, but maybe the newsreel stops at, you know, after the aid has been distributed. But you know, maybe, maybe it's that God provides opportunity for us to share the good news. Because you know, having a person connect you know, the dots to like a physical need being met doesn't necessarily transmit to knowing that God is really the one caring for them and leading them towards repentance. So people just don't pick up the gospel by osmosis. It's got to be shared. It's got to be vocalized. And it may be that if people are just living from one catastrophe to the next and we only address the physical needs, those people have nothing equipping them to face the next catastrophe. And sometimes big problems in life that cause physical needs, it can wake people up to their deeper spiritual need. So that's why we help people in the midst of crisis, but we press further to help them spiritually. So we've looked at many ways that Christ and Christ followers have genuine compassion that makes a difference in our world. So just imagine, what would our world look like or our country look like without Christian-founded hospitals and trained Christian doctors? Think about medical innovations that would be totally absent today if it wasn't for Christianity. Imagine a world without compassion groups or, or the International Mission Board or Salvation Army or Compassion International. You know, sometimes I see a disaster strike and I think, man, I don't, I can't, I can't what, what can I do about that? Some, somebody should do something about that. And then just as soon I learn about a Christian organization that already has boots on the ground. It's amazing the responsiveness. And we praise God that he treats the whole person and he desires that we have life, not just scraping along, but life abundantly. Well, I hope that you come back next week. It's going to be Mother's Day on Sunday, and we're going to be excited to honor the many mothers represented here in our church. And we're also going to look at the value of women in our society. Some have said that Christianity, it pushes women down, it confines and suppresses them. But you might find it fascinating that countries with the strongest women rights today have a majority population of Christians. In countries where women are most oppressed and devalued is where Christian, the Christian influence is either outlawed or absent. And in this message series, we just keep looking at how Christianity raises the bar in every aspect of human life. So join us next week as we keep learning about the difference that Jesus makes in our world. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the way that you care for us and you care for our bodies. Oftentimes you provide healing and help, medicine that's needed, or sometimes the endurance to push through difficulty. Pray that you would use our church to express compassion and love to others and that the good news would travel through our efforts as well. Help us to see the opportunities that you may be bringing along. And we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, I hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.